have one thing to say to you. Kiss my fat ass. Welcome, all my grim reapers of diet culture. This is episode two of RIP Diets, and today we're going to be talking about principle number two of intuitive eating, honor your hunger. Before I talk about that, though, I want to talk about shame. It's a word that we hear a lot. The one, two, three is about shame. We all have it. It's the most human, primitive emotion that we experience. How do you define it? The intensely painful feeling that we are unworthy of love and belonging. It's something that definitely applies to body positivity because shame is what keeps us from living our lives out loud. Shame is what prevents us from saying, I'm great as I am and I don't need to change. I've felt shame throughout my life. Uh, I talked in episode one about growing up as a chubby kid. What I did not mention is that I was sent to fat camp. Um, It was just one summer of my life, so it doesn't come up in every conversation, but whenever I bring it up, I can see people are amused by it because Fat Camp has been portrayed in movies and TV shows because the idea is objectively humorous. You take a bunch of chubby kids and you send them to the same camp and force them to work out and stick to a certain diet. We don't serve soda. We don't serve fried food. It's grilled and everything is portion controlled. I was sent to fat camp in the sixth grade, so I believe I was 10 or 11, and I remember my parents giving me the brochure for the camp, and it did not register consciously with me that it was a fat camp. In my mind, it was just going to be a normal camp, and it had some weird language on the brochure, like um, self-esteem, sports, good times. And I I was like, self-esteem. I just remember the word self-esteem being on there and thinking, huh, I never knew that summer camp was supposed to improve your self-esteem. Is that a thing? So I went to the camp and I quickly realized what it was. I didn't say a word about it to my parents because I felt shame over it. Um, And I didn't feel like it was up for discussion. And I have no problem dragging this camp. It's called Camp Pocono Trails. It's a pretty well-known weight loss camp um, on the East Coast. And actually, fun fact, it was the inspiration for the movie Heavyweights. Tomorrow morning at 0600, everyone who has not met their weight loss goal will join me on a 20-mile hike. What? Pack light, boys. The party's over. Which we watched at camp and... um, loved that movie it stars Ben Stiller as the camp director and his name in the movie is Tony I think it's Tony Perkins Tony Perkis is his character's name and the camp director at my camp was named Tony Sparber so I'm like pretty confident that heavyweights was based on my camp Um, and the movie heavyweights is obviously a parody It was not that extreme. Tony Sparber was a very nice man from what I can remember and was not at all similar to Ben Stiller. I eat success for breakfast with skim milk. 
And generally, you know, we did not have people calling us fatty or any of the abusive things that Ben Stiller did in that movie. Who would like to own up to this treasure trove? Hmm? Whose wonderful candies are these? Oh, look, a deli meat. Anyone who brings candy into this camp is not your friend. He is a destroyer. One activity that I remember we had to do at camp is we had to do a talent show and each bunk had to sing a song and they were all parodies. So usually the counselors would pick a song and they would change the lyrics to make it applicable to our experience at camp. And I remember um, snack time at camp was a crazy time of day because all the counselors would stand in this big field with coolers filled with snacks. And it was usually things like Twin Pops or yogurts or things like that. Occasionally we would get fudgicles and we were so excited on fudgicle day because it was literally the only decent snack. And it was very rare that we got them. So this was so embarrassing for me, this talent show. My bunk had to get up in front of the entire camp and sing a parody of Madonna's Like a Virgin. But the song had been changed to Like a Heavyweight, and it was all about how we were fat and, you know, the struggle that we faced losing weight. And I remember one of the lyrics was... Tony, stop with the Twin Pops. We want fudgicles every day. And we had to sing that in front of the entire camp. It was something that was so embarrassing for me. I tried to protest it. I tried to get a bunch of my friends in the bunk to be like, we're not going to sing this song. And I remember my counselor getting mad at me like, it's just a joke. It's a joke. Have a sense of humor. Very funny that I turned out being a comedian and would make fun of the fact that I went to this camp incessantly, but it was so embarrassing. And I tried to convince part of the bunk to riot against the other part of the bunk that had to partake in this. And I lost everybody. So I started this revolution and it was successful for maybe a couple hours. And then eventually everyone who had gone with me had decided to then participate in the talent show and sing the song so then I went along with it too because I didn't want to be the only one not participating but god it's just so typical of what a little rebel I was and I I like constantly tried to start these revolutions at camp because even then it didn't sit right with me um and I just felt degraded a lot. I also remember we had to do these self-esteem workshops with a counselor. Probably uh, once or twice a week, our entire group would have to sit with a counselor. And she would say, okay, does anybody want to share any um, strides that they've made this week? And it could be related to anything. I remember this girl raised her hand. And she was like, yeah, so yesterday at lunch, um, These other girls were putting sugar into their lemonade to make it taste better. But I said no, and I didn't put any sugar in my lemonade because I'm here for a reason. And everybody applauded. And the counselor was like, good for you. That's incredible. Good for you. And it's just funny that they would um, advertise the fact that they work on self-esteem when everything was just related to weight loss. I don't think that they truly cared about 
our self-esteem or how we felt about being there as long as our tuition was paid. Also, this might be a little lesser known, but there was a reality show on MTV in the mid-2000s. Uh, I think it just was one season, but it was called Fat Camp. And it took place at Camp Pocono Trails as well. Not the year that I was there, but, oh, God, I wish it was the year I was there because I I feel like I would have been a star. I feel like I would have been one of these kids that got followed on this docuseries. My belly is mostly the area that takes up all the fat. I'm probably going to be working on my stomach and uh, building up my arms to be more jacked. I do get compliments that I'm a pretty girl, but I've never heard a compliment about my body. But, oh well, I just had to, you know, become a podcaster and uh, try to get famous that way. God, I still would love to be on a reality TV show. If there are any reality TV show producers listening, hit me up, slide into my DMs. But yeah, I mean, I hated Fat Camp. I would call my mom every week and tell her that I wanted to come home and... She was very dismissive, and um, I, I kept in touch with a couple of people that I made friends with at Fat Camp, and I remember going over to one of their houses, and my mom and her mom talking in front of us about whether we liked the camp, and they were both like, uh, you know, I think, I mean, I think she had fun. I think she had fun while she was there, even though she keeps telling me how much she hated it. I'm looking at the Camp Pocono Trails website right now because I am curious if they've changed their marketing at all from when I went. Camp Pocono Trails, a new image camp. I, I don't even remember if they called themselves a new image camp. I take issue with that. And here's the description. East Coast weight loss camp for kids, teens, and young adults. Campers enjoy learning about fitness and healthy weight loss at the Camp Pocono Trails weight loss camp. Located just 90 minutes from New York City and Philadelphia, Camp Pocono Trails is the finest weight loss camp in the country. 350 private acres nestled on our own private lakefront is the setting where children, teens, and young adults can realize their goals while enjoying the best activities program, bar none. Yeah, well, fucking bullshit. <laughs> I, I, I don't... I go back and forth about whether um, the people who own this camp have or had good intentions at the beginning but obviously taking a bunch of kids to a camp for the summer and forcing them to stick to this uh, strict schedule of working out every morning and um and having their meals controlled so strictly I I don't believe that's going to help them lose weight or be a healthier person. Um, I mean, I clearly don't think that or else I would not have this podcast. But I did get to see, I got to see firsthand diet culture in all its glory at this camp. And I did lose weight. I remember losing um, a, a little bit of weight. I'm not going to say how much, but I ended up gaining it back um, probably within six months of leaving this camp, which is why Weight loss camp is such a brilliant business idea because there were kids at this camp who would go back every summer. So clearly they were not losing weight for very long or else they wouldn't have felt the need to go back to this camp. Um, the excitement never ends on our private lake. Campers have the opportunity to enjoy a host of other activities from adrenaline building jet ski rides 
coupled with monster tubes and banana boats to canoes. Yeah, I mean, listen, it had a lot of cool stuff. They had other activities. It wasn't it wasn't like you had to um, do aerobics all day, but the girls had to wake up every morning and do aerobics, and the boys had to wake up every morning and do calisthenics, um, which, I mean, if you want to talk about gender roles, that is a very outdated form of exercise. I haven't, I haven't even heard the term aerobics in like 10 years. I think it's safe to say um, going to fat camp did not actually improve my self-esteem, and I resented my parents for sending me there. Um and it's something that to this day we haven't even really ever had a real conversation about because I'm just so outraged, honestly, that they sent me there. I know that they were trying to help me, but I would hope that parents nowadays um, have access to so many more resources that are more effective than just sending your kids to fat camp. I don't feel that sending your kids away to a camp to force them to lose weight is a very sensitive way to to go about it if you are concerned for your child's health I I mean I recommend implementing intuitive eating to this day I think my parents and I have had a few candid conversations about it but not really it's this one dark spot in my childhood that I still feel shame over and I don't want to feel that shame but Through therapy, I've learned that in order to truly heal, it's important not to ignore or reject the shame that you feel, but rather to understand where it comes from and to have empathy for your younger self that carried that shame into your adult life. So for me, fat camp was not the best experience. I did make some friends at fat camp and I do remember showing up to fat camp and on the first day I was brought to an activity where all the girls in my bunk were and we were playing a game and my counselor introduced me to all the girls and I heard one of the girls whisper to one of the other girls, oh, she's really pretty. And I I remember that as being like, whoa, I just never... (laughs) I never met anybody and had them call me pretty for no reason. And that was unique. I will say that attending fat camp and being around other kids that were like me and had the same experiences as me, it was an equalizer at the time. I had my first kiss at fat camp. I felt free to be a little more outgoing, especially with the opposite sex that scared me at the time I mean this was middle school so I think the opposite sex scares all of us a little bit at that age but feeling free to be in a bathing suit and not get judged and to be especially separated from my family who I felt did the majority of the judging when I was younger it that part of the experience was good Um, And I know that there were a lot of people at that camp who loved the camp, loved going to camp, felt like they had time to just be a kid um, and just be around other kids that empathized with them and felt the same things and could just not even talk about weight, not even worry about weight in the context of making friends and building relationships. When you're younger, your weight, when you grow up chubby, your weight does impact the relationships that you have with other people because 
you are taught, whether it's explicitly or subconsciously, that people are not going to like you or respect you as much because of your weight. So when you're put in a pool with so many other kids that have struggled with the same thing, it's an equalizer. Um, I can't think of another way to, to say it. But other aspects of going to that camp were horrifying and nothing short of horrifying. And really, if your reason for going to such a camp was to become a healthier, happier person, which I think is everyone's actual goal when they're trying to lose weight, is I want to become a happier, healthier person. I want to feel good. I want people to think that I've accomplished something. I think outward perception is a huge part of it as well. If you really want to achieve that, you would not go to a strict program in the summertime that would ban you from eating any, quote, unhealthy snacks. You would be surrounded by all of the snacks, all of the food, all of the temptations, so to speak. I know that that's probably not a good word for me to be using, but I'm just using it for the sake of this argument. And take the time to learn how to be around those things and not feel crazy because that's a long-term solution. A weight loss camp or a weight loss program is not a long-term solution. And it's something to this day I still feel shame over. And I hate that I feel shame over it. And anyone who has dieted a lot or has been made to feel that eating certain things was a good idea and certain things were a bad idea, I think you can identify with this feeling of food shame, feeling guilty after meals, whether they be, quote, normal meals or special meals, birthdays, holidays. The holidays, I know it can be very triggering for people. I have struggled with feeling guilty after eating. And part of my recovery was asking myself, why? Why do I feel so guilty? Food is something that we need to live It is a basic human need, just like sleep, just like air that we breathe, just like water. Why do I feel guilty after the act of eating? And sitting in that guilt is part of the whole process. But another part of it is what I'm talking about today, which is honoring your hunger. If you're hungry, you eat. It's very simple once you boil it down that way. But it's something that can be very complicated for people who have a complicated relationship with food. I am also going to read the intuitive eating definition of honor your hunger. Keep your body biologically fed with adequate energy and carbohydrates. Otherwise, you can trigger a primal drive to overeat. Once you reach the moment of excessive hunger, all intentions of moderate conscious eating are fleeting and irrelevant. Learning to honor this first biological signal sets the stage for rebuilding trust in yourself and in food. If you're hungry, eat as soon as you can. You know, sometimes you're not near food and for that reason you can't eat and you need to withstand hunger a little longer and that's that's just life people I don't know how to tell you to deal with that pack a snack I that actually does help I don't really do this anymore because I have a very clear sense of what my body needs but I used to pack so many snacks I carry around a backpack I live in New York City so 
I always have to have everything with me. I could leave my apartment in the morning and not be back until after midnight. Um, And that's also just my lifestyle. Obviously not now with coronavirus, but pack a lot of snacks. Pack a few different options depending on what you might want or how much you might need. And make sure that you never, ever feel restricted. That's the key idea here is you never want to feel restricted with your food or how much you can eat or when you can eat. So when you are hungry, even if it's an hour before mealtime or a time during the day when you would not typically eat, just have a snack. See how you feel. If you need more, have more. Make sure that you are always fed and that you always address your hunger in the moment as much as you can to prevent excessive hunger in the future because that is what can lead to a binge that is what can set us back and make us feel guilty all over again and basically we would have to reset the process entirely after that happens we want to prevent a binge some people might be listening and they're like I'm not a binge eater a a binge can also apply to you know just eating way more than you need in that moment and that usually happens because of prior restriction. So if you've been restricting between lunch and dinner, for example, um, you had lunch at 1 p.m. and it's 6 o'clock p.m. right now. You're hungry and you feel like you're going to combust, but you're like, oh, I'm going to make dinner soon. I'm going to make it at 7 o'clock. I would encourage you to respond to that hunger and start making your dinner early or have a small snack. And this is something that comes very naturally to a lot of people. I know my boyfriend eats like this, like we could be having dinner in a half an hour. And if he's hungry, he'll have a little snack. It's not something that comes naturally to me. It's something that I need to remind myself. I don't need to let myself go hungry for any reason. It doesn't matter if I'm going to eat later. It doesn't matter if I just ate a short while ago. If I am hungry, I feel empowered to feed myself and to not feel guilty about it but if I do feel guilty about making that choice I feel like such a heifer I had two bowls of special K three pieces of turkey bacon a handful of popcorn five peanut butter M&Ms and like three pieces of licorice (gasps) oh my god sitting with that guilt and analyzing it and understanding where it comes from so that is honor your hunger um just a heads up I know the first episode was a little bit longer and it was just me. The format for the show moving forward might change from episode to episode, but I am opening the show up to guests in the second half of the show. So the format of the show for now is going to be myself talking about a principle of intuitive eating in the first half of the show. And then the second half will be an interview or discussion with somebody that I admire either in the health at every size space or somebody that I admire in the arts who might identify as fat or I feel has something to say about the topic. So on that note, I'm so excited to let you guys hear this conversation that I had with Macy Eleni about thin privilege. Um, I asked Macy Eleni to be on this show because I've been following her for a while. She's been on my other podcast, Hot Mess. She was actually 
one of the resources that I turned to when I was just starting recovery from an eating disorder. So I was starting recovery, but I now refer to that as pseudo recovery because, you know, I definitely thought I was in recovery and I was trying to, but I still had a lot to learn and I needed to um, make a few mistakes in order to set myself on the right path. And I always like to see what people are doing in other spaces, particularly YouTube, because YouTube is bewildering to me. I do not understand it at all. People who are on YouTube who create content constantly and do it according to the algorithm and do all the right things. I think they're amazing. Podcasting is much more uncensored as a medium and it's something that lends itself a little bit more to my personality. Even the basic fact that you can curse on a podcast and not be demonetized, whereas on YouTube you cannot curse and you cannot include... um, explicit content or maybe you can only include a certain amount I'm not quite sure but I know that it's very strictly regulated and people will be demonetized if they don't adhere to the rules which just sounds like a nightmare to me so I'm always interested to see what people are doing on there because it's a whole different set of rules than we have in podcasting and there is a subculture on YouTube of people, mainly young women, who discuss eating disorder recovery and intuitive eating. And you can go on YouTube and see all these girls who speak very openly about the same issues that affected me, that affect many of us. There's so much content to consume related to intuitive eating, usually in the form of what I eat in a day videos, um, which there are also problematic what I eat in a day videos. Plenty of people make them fitness influencers and um, quack nutritionists and all sorts of people create what I eat in a day videos. But these particular ones for intuitive eaters are great because you can follow someone throughout their day and see them eat a whole range of different foods and then maybe in the middle of it talk about their struggles and having their eyes open to diet culture and um, I just I I love what people are doing on there and Macy hello guys what is up it's Mace it is extremely early on Sunday morning welcome back to my channel and just PS I think this will be a video that you want to watch if you're feeling a little bit down today Macy was always one of those people who I thought did it so well and had such an interesting perspective and a fun personality and really has a way of keeping you engaged while still hammering home important points. What is up? My name is Mace here on my channel. I've been sharing my personal journey through eating disorder recovery. We talk about food, we talk about self-love, we talk about self-care, we talk about eating whatever we want and like being whoever we want, being ourselves and celebrating ourselves. So... We're going to talk about thin privilege. Uh, I will give a little explanation off the top, which I might repeat with Macy just to set the stage, but we talk about privilege mostly as it pertains to race. And similarly, there are other types of privilege that we must acknowledge in order to get a full scope of the issue we're talking about. So in the body positive space and health at every size space, a term that sometimes comes up that you may have heard before is thin privilege. I've seen it debated in op-ed articles whether thin privilege even really exists Because no matter how thin you are, of course you can still be deeply affected by diet culture and you can have a negative body image. 
a negative body image is not strictly reserved for people in larger bodies. However, if you are in a thin body, and thin body in this context means anything below plus-sized, which starts at a size 16 or 18 for women, depending on who you ask. I, I did a little research trying to definitively find out where plus size begins. And the consensus is either a size 16 or a size 18. Also, I find it hilarious that people are Googling. Like when I typed into Google, what is plus sized? I wrote, what is plus? And it auto-filled size. And I just, that is so funny to me, the idea of somebody Googling, what is plus size? I'm sorry, does a size exist over um, an 18? But I'm sure it's mainly people uh, Googling it for the same reason that I was um, to see where it starts. But it's, it just was something that amused me this morning. So what thin privilege means is that you don't experience the discrimination that people in larger bodies face from the outside world. So I am in a thin body and I was debating whether it would be problematic to say sizes or weights on this podcast. I'm not going to say anyone's weight and I'm going to request that people don't say their own weights, but I think we know that sizes can look different on all different people. And I actually find that sharing sizes can be helpful in the right context. So if you're going to be triggered by me telling you what size I am, just skip ahead 15 seconds. But if not, I'm a size 10 in most things. I'm pretty proportionate. And I am classified as having a thin body. So that means that I can go throughout my day and I don't experience on a day-to-day basis people being rude to me or making negative comments towards me or simply walking into a store and not being sure if I can find something in my size and feeling degraded in that way and just like the world is not made for me. I can sit in an airplane seat and not worry about intruding on somebody else's seat or possibly having to buy an extra ticket because I can't fit in the seat. Things like that. So thin privilege refers to anybody who does not need to deal with the stigma that larger bodied individuals have to deal with. It's important to acknowledge that while we all are susceptible to body image problems as a result of diet culture, if you have a societally acceptable body, you do have a certain amount of privilege and you can still struggle with your mental health. You could still not perceive yourself as thin and not be happy with your body and be ashamed of your body. But the fact is you have privilege in that you don't need to face certain issues that larger bodied people need to face. And if you yourself are in a larger body, I, I, I want to also acknowledge that I know there are certain things that you have to face that I don't necessarily have to. And I'm trying to make this podcast applicable to everybody, despite the fact that I have a decent amount of, of thin privilege. I do think, however, that I benefit from the fact that Growing up, I was in a larger body and I was in a larger body through college. So entering my adult life, 
I definitely understood the stigma. I definitely have that perspective. But now as an adult, it makes me notice my privilege even more. So uh, without further ado, let's go into this discussion of thin privilege with Macy Eleni. Uh, You can follow her at Macy Eleni, M-A-C-Y-E-L-E-N-I on Instagram. She's a great follow. She's she just she makes me feel good when I see her post. She she's all about promoting positivity while also acknowledging mental health. I think she strikes such a wonderful balance. So I'm very excited for this. And uh, here we go. Welcome, Macy Eleni, everybody. How are you doing, Macy? Oh, you know, not the best, but not the worst. We are we are moving with 2020 and how it has been. So I'm happy to be here, though, and talking to you. Oh, good. I'm so happy. I, I had you on my other podcast, Hot Mess, um, probably about, about a year ago. And we talked a little bit about your history with body image issues. We also talked about your relationship with your dad. And people loved that episode. So I think people are really going to be excited to hear from you again. I loved that episode so much. That was literally, I think, about a year ago. And I remember I went to New York like right when I decided to start Blazed and Glazed. And I remember also, I remember leaving you guys and feeling so empowered and good. Like that was the first time I'd really talked about, first of all, my dad liked that so publicly and it felt so good. Like it just felt so good. And now I haven't really been able to shut up about boundaries and toxic (laughs) relationships and not having them. So thank you guys for that because that was, that was something special for me. It feels really good to just be able to say shit in a microphone and not censor yourself. Like that is what I love about podcasting. And earlier in the episode, I, I was I gave you a little intro and I was saying how I've been following you on YouTube for a few years. And like I, I just love what you've been doing on YouTube. I think it's so creative and, and cool. But I do not understand YouTube at all. I'm like a YouTube virgin. I just don't understand it at all. There's all of these like rules that you seem to need to follow or else you get demonetized and all of these like complicated algorithms. And I just can't keep track of it. How do you, how, how do you not feel censored or like, do you feel censored and you just have to work around it? Yeah. So YouTube is a persnickety weird platform. You know, they have kind of like rules that they lay out if you look kind of within the YouTube guidelines, but they don't really apply to everyone and they don't really clearly outline exactly what they do apply to, to be honest. I get random monetary strikes on my videos, which means they're not making any AdSense for random things, talking about mental health, talking about depression. Um, But then, you know, there's videos out there of people like binge drinking their faces off or doing like, you know, actual harmful things that don't get demonetized. So it's definitely a weird place. I sometimes feel a bit censored and that they will, that they kind of, you know, present these rules and don't actually flat out explain them. So you're kind of going blind as a creator on what you can say and what you can't. But personally, like for me, Blaze and Glaze is a place where I'm going to say whatever the fuck I want anyway. Um, they don't really like cussing a lot either, but I cuss a lot in my videos. So that's really, <laughs> so I just really don't pay attention to that. I think it can be really censoring if you let it be, but if you go into it with the intention of sometimes I'm going to get, you know, a monetary strike because that's all that's going to happen. You might not make AdSense on one video. So I just decide if that's worth it to me. If it's a video that I really want to put out about mental health and I know that I'm going to say some words 
that might trigger demonetization because it's not even a person that checks it. It's like a computer system they go through. Um, you know, I weigh the pros and cons, but if it's something I really want to say, like, I'm just going to say it and I'm going to post it. So if they give me a monetary strike, like whatever, I'll make it back somewhere else. That's a really good attitude. I think like the focus should generally be on creating stuff that makes you happy and that you feel good about. And then if money comes later, then that's great. But when this is like something that you're putting your whole heart and whole soul into to get then demonetized for something as important as talking about mental health would be really frustrating for me at least yeah it's a weird thing because youtube like in general as a company likes to really champion um during specific times like pride or like right now certain voices like the lgbtq plus community and whatnot but and mental health during mental health awareness month but then they will also like kind of semi-silence those same creators at times by demonetizing their videos when talking about those exact subjects. So it's actually like something that a lot of people are kind of up in arms about. It's definitely a conversation that's being had with YouTube or being tried to have with YouTube. So I hope to see more change in that in the future because it's kind of a mess right now, to be honest. Yeah. Well, all I have to say is um, go fuck yourself to the podcasting community if you make it so I cannot curse in my podcast. Yeah. I, I mean, I couldn't, I can't not cuss in my videos or people are going to literally just know I'm not being myself. They'd so. be like, who is this person? Like, right? who, who is this person who's saying sugar instead of shit? Like, and people don't right? talk like that. So you mentioned Blazed and Glazed. So that's the YouTube channel that I know you have been focusing more on, which is a lot of fashion content and thrifting content, which I'm a huge fan of because I I love the thrift. And I think people need to know that you can go other places besides Buffalo Exchange because they mark up their clothes like crazy. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, there's just the many levels of thrifting, you know, Buffalo Exchange, Crossroads. That's more of our like consignment and like curated thrifting Mm -hmm. so you know if you don't really want to like go too far into it but like you want to buy things secondhand and still be shopping sustainably but like I love a Goodwill outlet I love there's this place called St. Vincent de Paul here in LA it's just it's the biggest thrift store in LA it's a big warehouse and so for me like I I love that kind of thrift but yeah there's so many options that's awesome um and I I love the content that you're making on there congrats on that channel but you used to have another channel that was focused more on eating disorder recovery content I would love to know the history of your relationship with your body and kind of what led you to want to create that content and put it out there for everyone to see. Yeah. So I feel like literally the last time like we spoke when I was on Hot Mess, that was literally like maybe two or three weeks after I decided to step away from that channel and start Blazed and Glazed. And that was solely because I'd been sharing that recovery content like kind of so real time. I started sharing my journey in recovery as I fell into it, as I decided to choose recovery. And it was something I naturally started sharing online and it became the center of that YouTube channel because that was what I was doing in my life. So much of my life was at that point dedicated to me going through recovery as an adult on my own, not in a treatment center, you know, because that does look different. Recovery looks so different for so many people when it comes to eating disorders, just like eating disorders look so different. Of course. And I was going through that, so it was natural for me to share. And I was, you know, finding all of these new accounts to follow and things and just, you know, diet culture and all these things were being brought to my attention that I had never really seen because my eating disorder was blinding me, in a sense, my whole entire life. So it felt so natural for so long. But, you know, I hit the point about a year ago where 
I was sharing, you know, these what I eat in the days and talking about food and talking about recovery, but I, I didn't want to talk about it anymore. You know, my I'd gotten to such a strong place in my personal recovery that I wanted to dive back into something like fashion and storytelling in general that I'm so passionate about. I wanted to be able to do that. Um, so I had to start a new channel because for me personally, it felt really insensitive to, you know, just start uploading fashion content and all of this like kind of more, you know, like throwing a try on haul or something in someone's face that might still be in a different point in their recovery or eating disorder than me. So I wanted to make it a clean separate break. Um, that wasn't even quite intended to be like a full shutting down of that channel when I did it, but it kind of naturally progressed to that point. And it's like the best thing I ever did. Like creating Blazed, Blazed and Glaze is the space I've always wanted to have that I've always wanted to be able to tell stories on and create on. And I knew when I made it, it was going to be so much more than fashion. There's already a bajillion fashion channels on YouTube. And I've been watching them my whole life since, you know, or since YouTube really got going fashion wise and creating wise back in like 2010, 2011. I always wanted to have a space that felt so me and so fashion and so inclusive and diverse. And like people just felt like they could be there and like they belonged and like they were celebrated for exactly who they are. And that's what I feel like I've really gotten to do in the past year on Blazed and Glazed. And it just, it shows me that it was the right step to make for me. It was definitely something I had to do for me because I knew there would be people disappointed me leaving my old channel. But yeah. I think you always have to be your own biggest advocate. And that's like what I had to do for myself. It also makes sense that fashion content and try on hauls might be triggering for some people. Honestly, yeah. that's not even something that I had thought of. But was it triggering for you at one point? Did you lose um, part of your interest in fashion when you were going through recovery? I think I just was like very aware going into recovery that fashion, I mean, I went to school for fashion. I've always been involved in fashion. And for me, so much of my eating disorder was rooted in my love for fashion, um, rooted in that all I heard around me when I did fashion internships or was interacting with people in the industry was, oh my God, I just, I'm so busy. I couldn't eat all day. Or like, yeah. you know, glamorizing not eating, glamorizing being thin. When I went to the Teen Vogue offices back in like 2011, it was full of thin white women. Like I was consumed with thinking that to be in fashion, I had to look a specific way. And so when I started recovery, I just, I'd gone to the point where, yeah, like I knew for a fact that if I watched a try on haul of a girl that was so much thinner than me talking about, I mean, a lot of these try on hauls on YouTube, which is something I make a point not to do in my videos you know you're talking about how to make this thing look flattering on you which is just like <laughs> code word for make your how flat and thin we can look you yep. know what I mean and I just knew that that content wasn't I just knew I wasn't consuming fashion the way I wanted to or putting it out the way I wanted to and so when I was going through recovery I, I took a step back from it I mean I still loved it and I still was involved in it but I took a step back from sharing it really um and consuming some of it consuming you know what I used to find triggering and refollow and kind of following on Instagram, all of these accounts of like people of different sizes and shapes and colors and all of these different backgrounds that completely opened my eyes up to what fashion can look like and what the industry can look like in the future, um, hopefully in the near soon future. Uh, so I knew that when I started Blazing Glaze, I, I wanted to be able to reenter it in just a healthier way and just make it more about wearing whatever you want and celebrating yourself for exactly what you look like right now, not like what you can look like if you follow this five-step tutorial on how to be skinnier. Right. I, I mean, to be honest, 
There was definitely a point in my life when, you know, if I had seen a thin white woman talking about how fashion is so accessible for everybody and how, or or even uh, food-related content, eating disorder content, whatever it mm-hmm. was, a younger version of myself would have had the reaction, it must be so easy for you. Like, it must be so yeah. easy for you to sit there and tell other people that they can live their lives freely and wear what they want and eat what they want, but it's only because of your situation. Have you ever had people say something like that to you? Like any hateful comments like, oh, well, you don't really understand what it's like because you're a thin white woman or, or something like that. Like, Yeah, no, I totally know what you mean. It's something that, you know, since I started Blazed and Glazed, I, I don't think I've gotten that comment, but I want to say that I think that the reason I haven't gotten that comment is because when I was going through recovery, I really started learning about thin privilege and that not everyone gets, I mean, like I knew obviously not everyone gets treated the same way in the world, but I think sometimes when individuals are going through eating disorders, we can hold on to that. There's no way I have thin privilege because I've never thought of myself as skinny. I've never thought of myself as thin. So that can't be it. But it's like, the thing is the rest of the world sees you for the way you look just because your body dysmorphia or something or your body image issues, which are totally valid. Like thin privilege doesn't take away from those being valid and those experiences being something that you have felt, but it is something that you know, you can walk out into the world and you know, the world will accept my body. If I feel okay with myself, the world will accept me and won't push back on that, which does in turn then make it a lot easier to love yourself and celebrate your body and celebrate yourself for exactly who you are. So I always say that. I make that a huge point in my videos. I just uploaded a bikini video, a bathing suit video, thrifting bathing suits, vintage bathing suits, sustainable bathing suits last Friday. And I knew that there was no way I was going to put up a video like that without addressing that, you know, I know I'm sitting here telling you to celebrate your body and I know that's easier for me to say. And I need to acknowledge that. And I think people underestimate how much acknowledging that, how far of a way that can go. It can go a really far way with people, just you acknowledging that you understand that your privilege gives you a different experience and a different kind of like tool set to work with as you're walking into the world. Um, So I think acknowledging that goes a really long way, I've found. Totally. And you named the things that people in larger bodies might face discrimination, but even just walking into a store and knowing Mm -hmm. that you're going to be able to find something in your size that by itself is privilege because not, you know, a huge uh, portion of the population cannot do that. Exactly. So like, what would you recommend, if anything, to people who are in that situation? Have you ever thought about that? Like, how would you advise somebody to go about fashion and expressing themselves if they are in a larger body and they feel like they don't have access to as many things? Yeah, because I mean, let's be real like this, especially with sustainable clothing, which is a lot of what I talk about. It's a really at the moment. I mean, it's a kind of inclusive industry, you know, sustainable clothes, unless you're thrifting, they cost more. Um, But then thrifting, you know, sizing gets kind of in the mix, like kind of messed up there. There's not as many options for people in bigger bodies at the thrift store. Vintage clothing is so small. So small, so small. I've done videos with my friend Carrie Dayton, who's a mid-size creator on YouTube. She talks a lot about how it is to be in a mid-size body and thrifting. And we've done some videos together going to the thrift store and seeing what they have in my size and what they have in hers. And we talk about like the real realities of what that looks like. And it gets some people really mad. You know, it gets some people really, really upset. But I, my suggestion is to follow 
creators, um, follow creators that are sharing those options with you. I mean, I, for one, really try to make my channel an inclusive place where, and even in that bathing suit video I was talking about, like I, I want to find brands that do have that extended sizing and if they don't, they it's something they're actively working towards. I make sure I talk about it in my video. I talk about the sizing. Um, and a, there are a lot of creators out there and like influencers you can follow that are sharing those size inclusive options. So, I mean, I, I would say to seek those people out and put pressure on sustainable brands. I mean, that's like in a position I'm in, like if a brand reaches out to me to work with me, if they don't have clothing that can fit my entire audience, to be honest, I'm not going to say yes. That's something that's important to me is the sustainability aspect and their size inclusivity. And if they don't have it, if they're not like that inclusive right now, like I wanna know why and I wanna know if they're working on it and if they're not, why they're not. Um, so I think right now it's all about like asking those questions and pushing and there are a lot of people out there on the internet having the conversation. So I would seek out those creators. Why do you think that so many brands and like, I'm talking like the classic brands, obviously designer brands, like why do you think that they have not made the brands more inclusive? So, I mean, I can only talk about it from my perspective, which obviously I haven't had to like dive into trying to find my size in those places because of my thin privilege. But I would, I mean, from what I've heard from friends and other creators is I mean, honestly, I think they're a bit lazy. I think they think for some reason that women in bigger bodies don't, I don't know, they think they might not have the money. I think it's all of or these the things interest. in their mind that they have preconceived notions of people in different bodies. The same kind of preconceived notions that people have of people of different colors. Like people have these preconceived notions of like they don't have the money to spend here or they don't want to do this or they're not going to wear our clothes. Um when they do have the money to spend and people do want to buy the clothes. So I think More it's people just the would bias. Buy the yeah, it's the bias in the industry that we need to keep knocking down and that a lot of really amazing women in the body positivity space have been trying to knock down for a long time. But yeah, sustainable brands need to get a little bit more with it when it comes to sizing. It is not just thin white women that want to buy your clothes. Totally. This might be a bit of an outdated reference, but I know that lululemon for a while was getting a lot of heat because they would inflate their sizes and even as a woman you could be you know a size 10 and a size 4 and a size 12 and a size 20 like you could be yeah. five different sizes but it seemed like lululemon was like purposely inflating their sizes because they did not want fat women to wear their clothes and i think it's so important to even if you wear straight sizes, even if you're not championing body positivity yourself, you should not buy those brands because they don't want different people to wear their clothes. And that's yeah. just like disgusting. <laughs> I wish that many, I wish more people cared about that. I know. Um, no, I know. And like, I want to see it not just in their sizing. I want to see it you know, even if you do, because some brands that even do have those extending size, extended sizing options, you know, they don't show those bodies wearing those clothes on their Instagram or on their websites. Like if I, I want to see a brand have the sizes and then also show me those bodies on their site and on their Instagram, or I don't believe you that you really care. And that's what I've heard from a lot of my friends in larger bodies is that exactly like, we don't believe you if we're not seeing it. Um, so hopefully Do that will yeah. continue to get better, but <laughs> I, here's hoping, right? Yeah. We're not going to hold our breath. Um, but do you think 
being a content creator, do you think that presents more challenges having to weed people out like that? Yeah, I think that anytime you take any kind of stance in anything as a creator, influencer, anything, it comes with more challenges. I think people need to be a little bit less lazy when it comes to their job if they're doing this as a job. I think that it shouldn't be easy. I don't feel like what I do is easy because I like to, like I said, tell stories and that comes with telling real stories of real people and then standing up for those same people that you're telling stories about. So I... It's definitely, it's harder, but I wouldn't want it any other way. I really like to know that the brands I'm working with, wearing and aligning myself with, um, that they also celebrate my audience. Um, Everyone that looks every type of way in my audience comes from, you know, every different background. That's important to me. So I think that it's definitely harder, but I think that it's 100% worth it. And people should consider that. (laughs) You know what I mean? A little bit more. Yeah, absolutely. It goes a long way with your audience. I feel like I've been lately having a lot of conversations with a lot of my followers on YouTube and Instagram of just wanting more people to stand up for them and talk about them and see them and not just see them and then be okay like taking their money when they're buying the shit that you're selling on your stories, but seeing them and then standing up for the things that affect them. And that definitely comes with clothing brands as well. So where, this is a general question, where do you see yourself growing what you've created? What do you see for yourself in the future in terms of content creation? Oh my God. Well, I love this question because I've had nothing but time to think about it (laughs) in quarantine. Yeah. Um, So yeah, on my channel, I make a lot of thrift with me videos, fashion videos. I have a series called LA Thrift Queens, which is kind of me getting to stretch my journalistic muscle that I love. And also tell stories like I said I like making YouTube videos but for me like the end goal is to eventually make LA Thrift Queens pitch it into being either like a digital show a streaming show I want it to be my first show and that is just really important to me I love doing that I pick you know someone that lives around LA we go thrifting we talk about thrifting we talk about so much more than thrifting though I go into their I go into their homes and we talk about I mean they go so many types of ways and it's honestly my favorite thing to do in the world is make LA thrift queens and yeah so I want that to be my first show and that's a goal I'm just going to keep making the episodes until the industry basically opens back up again which who knows when that is going to be Um, but I'm also working on writing a scripted screenplay at the moment um, about my life and my childhood I just had my mom since I was in quarantine and figured I had the time I had her send me all of her journals she kept when she was in a abusive marriage with my dad and oh my gosh you're so lucky not the not the abusive marriage but the journals my mom's always known that since I was younger my mom always told me that everything I went through was for a reason and that she knew I would channel it into a book or a movie or a show one day. So she kept a lot of shit for me and I called her a couple weeks ago and had her send it over and I've been diving into that. So I kind of just want to keep storytelling. I mean, I want to make television shows and movies and right now YouTube and Instagram is a really great way for me to kind of do all of that already and build my audience and then take it larger and more mainstream in the future. That is the goal, to tell stories of people 
who don't always get talked about, who get overlooked and who have really powerful things to say and really beautiful visions. And I'm honestly just sick of seeing the same, you know, 10 people interviewed in YouTube series. And I just want to bring some new, some new faces to light. Very, very cool. Well, I think everyone should give Macy a follow. Where can people follow you? On Instagram, Macy Eleni, and then on YouTube, Blazed and Glazed. And I'm going to say, once again, if you are uh, currently going through eating disorder recovery, Macy's old channel is a fantastic resource as well. Give both a follow. Yeah, my new channel, Blazing Glaze, it's definitely, let me just be clear, it's really not all about the fashion. I really like for people to come for the fashion, hope they leave with a lot more than that. Um, we talk about mental health and we talk about body image and we talk about body neutrality and we talk about just a lot of shit. We talk about a lot of shit and then there's some fun fashion, sustainable fashion. It's kind of like side. real life. Yeah. You talk, you talk about some serious shit, you talk about some fun shit and sometimes the two coincide. Uh, yeah, the two coincide a lot of the times I find that's like my life. Oh yeah, the arts and mental health issues coincide more than people would like to admit. Absolutely. Um, well, thank you so much for coming on the show. Oh my God, thank you for having me. Of this course. went by in like five seconds. I know, I told you it would go by so fast. Thank you so much, Macy. Thank you. And that's a wrap on episode two of RIP Diets. Thanks for tuning in, guys. We'll be back with another episode very shortly. And please, please slide into my DMs, be a part of the conversation. I am Lubination on Instagram. That's L-U-B-I-N-A-T-I-O-N. Let me know what guests you'd like to hear from, what topics you would like me to cover. I want to create a podcast that you guys want to listen to and that you find interesting. So please be a part of the conversation and let me know what you would like to hear.